everybody, and welcome back to the Broadway Jets podcast. You'll know me from Twitter as NYJ Mike, and I'm joined as always by the president of memes of Jets Twitter. It's NYJ Matt, episode yeah, three. We're back, episode three, ready to go. Thank you for everyone who listened to the first two episodes with Connor Hughes and Michael Nania. Got a lot of really good feedback. Uh, if you are listening, please feel free to subscribe, rate, and review if you want. We're going to head over now to the interview with Joe Cap. All right. So welcome to another great interview. We have Joe Caparoso. He's the owner and editor-in-chief of Turn on the Jets. His writing has been featured in the New York Times, the Huffington Post. Maybe you've heard of them. Monday morning quarterback and ad week. He played football his entire life, Joe did, including four years at Mullenberg as a wide receiver, where he, in his own words, was arguably the slowest receiver to ever start in school history. I don't know if that's, you know, clocked with a full time. Somewhere in the four eights, which is embarrassingly slow. That's <laughs> yeah, not bad. You know, we'll, we'll work through it. A little nearing Mackay Beckton's time, but at least he's, uh, at least you're under five. And Joe is also the VP of social media at Whistle Sports. So now that you know some credentials about Mr. Caparoso, uh, NYJ Matt has a very important question to ask. Yeah, so Joe, we, we have a lot of ridiculous hypotheticals. I wanted to start you off with one. Um, the year is 2040, and your son is the kicker in the Super Bowl for the NFC team. So the Jets are up two with three seconds left in the game. They still haven't won. And do you want your son to make or miss a 53-yard field goal to win the Super Bowl against the Jets? Now, mind you, your son has already won a Super Bowl. So what would your decision be? Have the Jets won a Super Bowl between now and 2040? Nope. <laughs> oh, well, if my son's already won a Super Bowl and he's already an NFL player, then I, could, I feel okay rooting for him to miss it. Wow. I, Your I son is going to be hated. <laughs> he's already won a Super Bowl. That's all right. I mean, I can, I can live with that by that point. I like that. I, I've asked a lot of people this question, and I want him to miss 10 out of 10 times, preferably maybe get blocked. The kick gets blocked. And it's yes, all that's probably the best case scenario. But I, there's been people, would not be bad. I could definitely live mm-hmm. with that also. Yeah. Yeah. There's been people I've asked and they said, dude, you're out of your mind. Like once you have a kid, like you're going to want to make that every time. I was like, I don't think so. I don't like it. Might Fuck be a that. few years Fuck away, but kid. yeah, I don't want to make that. To be fair, my kid's only like one and a half. So <laughs> when he's like 10 and playing football, <laughs> but for now, like he's just started like running around. So I could, I could, I feel good about my answer for now. Yeah. yeah. So I have a very good compliment for you. I think you're going to appreciate this. So I was listening to Turn on the Jets podcast. Very well done. Yeah, that's not the compliment. But I think your voice has a bit of Bob Wischusen in it, the Jets radio guy. Oh, I, I, that's, you know, that's, that's a positive compliment. I've had Bob on a couple of our pods before. Oh. We've been on Twitter a few times. Uh, great play-by-play announcer, although we sometimes disagree in our analysis of the team. But Mm-hmm. I'll take that. It's my it's my North Jersey accent. What can I say? Yeah, I'm a huge Bob Wischusen guy. I mean, it's funny. I don't get to listen to him too much because try not to, you know, miss any of the game. Not You know, don't want to be driving around during the Jets games. But all right, so a, a more serious question. Uh, I was looking, you know, of course, we follow you on Twitter and, and Joe Cap, great follow for our listeners. Uh, you know, if you don't follow him already, I'm sure you do. Uh, but you, you put out a Twitter poll the other day where you – you ask Jet fans, do you think that Adam Gase is going to be the head coach in 2021? Overwhelmingly, the fans said no. 
my question to you is, do you want Adam Gase to be the head coach? And I know you don't like Gase, but, you know, you could probably figure out why I'm asking you this question. Um, I, I've, if you asked me six, seven months ago, I would have said that I expect Gase to be the coach in 2021, no matter what. My mm. opinion on that has changed a little bit, whereas I could see if the Jets – are clearly under 500. He is not brought back. I do not think he is a good head coach. I do not think that they will win anything of consequence with him. I hope I'm wrong. And if I am wrong, he will certainly be back in 2021. I think where it gets interesting is if the Jets go 7-9 and nine again this year, do they think that's good enough to bring him back for a third year? And I think, honestly, at that point, it's a coin flip. I don't. The poll was skewed really heavily, and I think that was more just on fans – what they wanted over what necessarily will happen. I think the only way Gase is definitely gone is if they go, you know, I would say five and 11 or worse. I think six and 10, seven and nine, eight and eight. It's a coin flip depending on how the year plays out. I think anything better than eight and eight, he'll be back. And I think that would be a success, you know, considering what the state of the roster is right now and what a weird year it's going to be. Um, So look, he had a very impressive first year in Miami. He's been pretty damn bad since then. Sometimes coaches do improve. I don't necessarily expect this one to, but I could be wrong, and I hope I am wrong. I know people, they think that we and other people who are critical of Gase would rather be right than see the team be good. I promise you that is not the case. I covered the Jets and started to run the Jets when the Jets were good and in back-to-back AFC championship games, and it's much more enjoyable to be – tweeting and writing and doing podcasts about them when they are very good rather than when they start one and seven or, you know, two and six or whatever. It's nice to hear Joe. I'm happy that you said that, you know, cause Matt and I are very optimistic fans. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very happy. You know, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, I got Joe cap on Twitter now who, you know, maybe, you know, you're a little upset about some decisions and you're rightfully so, but here you are rooting for Adam Gase subconsciously. I like it. <laughs> Put on a record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Joe, one of my f- favorite things that you put out is the Mike McCagnan draft history, right? Looking at who were starters, who didn't make the team, who's a, a role player. Looking back on the past decade, who was one player that the Jets drafted that in the moment you thought it was like a slam dunk pick, pick looked good, and then looking back on it, just did not play up to where they were drafted? I mean, two that always come to mind that I was definitively wrong about and picks that I were very excited about in the moment were Devin Smith and Jason Morrow. Jason Morrow, that's Jason our Morrow guy. Jason Morrow is our answer, yep. Both, uh, <laughs> both second-round pass catchers, both guys who I liked a lot in college. I thought the Jets you know, needed more playmakers on offense, as they always do. I do still think if Devin Smith could stay healthy and was with the right kind of quarterback in 2015 who had better downfield accuracy, he could have been more useful. And he had a couple moments with Dallas last year, but obviously mm-hmm. couldn't stay healthy. Amaro um, had a couple moments his rookie year, but I just everything I heard that it just wasn't there. Uh, in terms of like a work ethic standpoint, and it just never clicked together for him, which is a shame. I, I did really like both those picks and was disappointed they did not work out. It was not like the contrast of a Ardarius Stewart or Christian Hackenberg pick where I hated it from the moment it happened, and it did mm-hmm. actually pan out to be bad. Got it. Yes, but at least the Jets made up for Ardarius Stewart by taking Chad Hansen in the next round. Yeah. So I'm, I'm actually always surprised that Jason Morrow never 
worked out a little bit more. You know, he had that 10 catch game against Denver, and he ended up his rookie year with 345 yards, which is similar to what Herndon did last year. Joe, I know you're a big Herndon guy. You, I, I saw you tweeting, you're expecting Herndon to get, you know, at least six, seven targets a game, and you're a big fantasy guy too. So I'm, I'm also expecting Herndon to be, you know, solidified on your, on your team. He, I mean, he should, right? He should get mm-hmm. that many targets. He's the Jets' I would say most difficult matchup in the passing game. So I hope that they run a lot of the passing game through him, especially with their current receiver depth chart and with everyone banged up. I know Crowder is always going to get a lot of targets in Gase's offense, the way it's structured, but Herndon's the biggest mismatch they have. And Herndon, if healthy and if used right, uh, I think he's a pro bowl talent. And I don't, I don't say that lightly about, you know, a lot of jet players, but I do actually think he is that good. They desperately need him to be healthy this year. If he's not, uh, I think things could be very ugly again for their offense, and I, I would get him the ball as much as they possibly can. Yeah, I like that. Now, you, we did mention early on that you did play wide receiver in college. We're wondering if you went up against Dexter McDougal, a 50-50 ball in the back of the end zone. Out of 10 balls, how many do you come down with for a touchdown? <laughs> I'll give myself – this is a ridiculous answer, obviously. I'll give myself a solid five or six. I mean, I'm yeah. six two. I'm six two. I think well, he's a shorter guy. He's like five ten. You know, exactly. Always, always a little banged up. The fade ball's mm. a weird one where if you get a decent pass, you get in the right position. I think I could hit fifty percent. I love make, it. Just don't make eye contact. He's got some of the weirdest eyes in football. Or maybe other than Adam Gase, you know. It's it's a, it's a tough or, one to beat there, but I, I think. Uh, yeah, I like my odds in the against the slot corner, which I think McDougal was. Is he still in the league? Is he on the Eagles now or something? I know he's still. He was on the Eagles in 2018, but he, he's long gone. He looked like D Milner too. The moment he was drafted, like that guy looks identical to D Milner. Yeah, and if he put just... his knees in D Milner's body, then maybe that pick would have worked out. Love having uh, Kyle Wilson, D Milner, and Dexter McDougal. As we got. Oh, we could do the Kyle Wilson question. We got a That's Kyle fun. Wilson question. Yeah. Great. So, um. You need one of these things to happen, life on the line. You need Kyle Wilson to defend Jerry Rice from the 10-yard line, one-on-one coverage, and not give up a touchdown. Or Kerry Vidvik needs to make a 50 – or what was it? 62-yard field goal for the win. Man, that is a very tough question. <laughs> I mean, I was, at, I was at Jets Bills week one last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I never seen a kicker, kicker more hopeless than him. But Wilson – I think there's a better chance you get a fluke kick that goes in because Wilson mm-hmm. does not stop Rice ever. Maybe I mean, it's like in Denver or something. <laughs> I think a, a very tough question, but I think you got a better odds of a fluke field goal being made than Kyle Wilson stopping anybody ever. Oh, yeah, we, it's funny. Someone asked us a hypothetical. They said, if, uh, what would the Jets' record be last year if we had Jason Myers you know, instead of Kerry Vidvik? And I think the answer is just literally 8-8. Eight and eight. Like They would have just won week one, and then everything else is the same. Even though Sam Ficken did make a game-winning kick against the Dolphins, and he's been pretty good in camp so far. Yeah, it does seem like he will be the guy again. Yeah, last mm. year was such a such a weird year, obviously, with what happened weeks two, three, and four, but always a gut punch to lose to Buffalo week one, and let's hope they don't repeat that this year because you don't want to be going to play San Francisco 0-1. I was going to say, something you've also been tweeting about recently is the Jets, the first quarter of the season. You know, you start with Buffalo, you have San Fran, you have India, and you have Denver – which uh, on paper is, is pretty difficult, but uh, I, I saw you tweet out, you know, asking fans what they think. I'm curious to see what you think about the first four weeks of the season. I think 
I think two and two is manageable, and I would be very happy to see them get out of those four games at two and two. And I, I think, unfortunately, it's probably more likely that they go one and three than three and one. It's it's so much. It's so similar to last year in that this game against Buffalo is so important. If they if they lose that game, it's very hard uh, to be coming back to be playing San Francisco with how they match up against them with San Francisco's defensive line against the Jets' offensive line to expect to win that, and then it's hard to dig yourself out of 0-2 hole. I think people are sleeping on how tough the Colts game could be. I think if Rivers is even okay, that's a pretty good roster. All that being said, I do think they are absolutely capable of beating Buffalo week one. And if they do that, they could get one of those next three. And if they get through that first four, two and two, there's no reason they really shouldn't be hovering around 500 all year. And it won't be like last year where, you know, you're 0-4 and 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 1-7 and everything is kind of wrapped by like Halloween. Yeah, and the Denver game too. I right away when the schedule came out, I looked at a Thursday night game, Denver going west to east. I, I think that's the game out of all four of those. And Denver, obviously, you know, you can argue that their roster is, is better than the Jets. I think that game on a short week can can heavily go in the Jets' favor. And to your point, if you can get one and two, I think that Denver game it, it has a good shot for the Jets to take a win there. Yeah, I'm, I'm much higher on, on the Colts than I am on the Broncos. You know, the Broncos mm-hmm. had the big offseason. They got Jarrell Casey. They got Melvin Gordon. They had a solid draft. They got the fast wide receivers. They got Hamler, who's actually hurt now. Uh, but I love what the Colts did. I think Phillip Rivers is a massive, massive upgrade over Jacoby Brissett. Sitting behind that offensive line, shouldn't turn the ball over as much, which was obviously the problem in, uh, in, San, in San Diego or Los Angeles. Uh, and, and, you know, they added Xavier Rhodes and they got Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman in the draft. So I think the Colts did a really good job. I'm more nervous about that game. And you mentioned the poor matchup with the 49ers and the Jets, the 49ers defensive line. The Jets do at least match up well against the 49ers. You know, the Jets had the second uh, run defense in football last year. And the 49ers are hesitant to, uh, you know, to open up the offense with Jimmy G. Yeah, I mean, that that's this should be like – you would think it will be a lower scoring game where you hope that Jimmy G has, you know, one of those games where he's a little inaccurate and maybe makes a couple of mistakes because the Niners are going to try to run the football. The Jets are always good at stopping the run. It's kind of been the case seemingly forever. And if they can drift 8,000 interior defensive linemen. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Niners, even though there's no fans, the Niners are flying back across the country and dealing with the weird time zone. So again, you beat Buffalo week one, I think that could be a it's, – it's week one, but I do think that could be an important statement within the division. The Jets just have to be better in the division. The last time the Jets had a winning record in the AFC East is the last time they had a winning record and made the playoffs in 2010. You just can't do the two and four or one and five every year in the AFC East. They have to find a way to, you know, win those games uh, that they just haven't the past few years. Uh, they've just been so inconsistent against New England, Miami, and Buffalo. It seems to be wide open this year. I mean, the Patriots, you know, everyone opted out. Cam Newton is is a little bit of a gut punch. I'm actually curious what your thoughts on Cam are because Matt and I, when we heard the news, we're, we're, you know, we're disappointed because I'd much rather play Jared Stidham twice than Cam Newton. I think it comes down to that. But maybe we're being too simplistic about it. I mean, look, I think if Cam is even – 85% 85% healthy. I think he's much scarier than, than Stidham being back there. And right. New England, if nothing else, is a well-coached team, and I think they'll get creative with how they use him. It's just hard. One of these years, New England will not be good, right? But it's hard to pick them to not be good until you see it happen. They've won 10 or more games for 19 straight seasons, I think. 
2001, yeah. So. It's hard to say, yeah, they're going to be 6 and 10 this or year. 2002, they won nine games, yeah, when the Jets won the division. So it's – I think Cam will be – I don't think he's going to be MVP Cam, but I think he will be good, and I'm curious to see how New England uses him. And I don't think New England's the normal 11-13 to 13 win team that they are, but I think they're more than capable of still winning 9-10 to 10 games, and that might be enough in the AFC East this year. I don't, I don't really know. I mean, it's a, again, it's the first year we're going to have the extra wild card. There'll be seven playoff teams. So I think, you know, for the Jets – can you over, you know, overachieve to expectations and find a way to get to, you know, nine or 10 wins. And maybe that's enough in the division this year. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good call. Uh, one question that we talk about a lot, and I think it's a pretty good debate. If you go back to 09 and 2010, if the jets were to make a run and win those AFC championship games, which team do you think had a better shot of beating that Super Bowl opponent in the next you know, week or two? 2010 definitely that that was a team that should have won the Super Bowl that and that's why it was that's why I think it hurt so much that AFC championship game if you really look at those two years 2009 was a nice story but it was a bit of a fluky run I think Sanchez had like 12 touchdowns and 19 interceptions 20 picks yeah yeah they got the Curtis Painter game against the Colts they got the kind of laying down I I almost bought his jersey I swear I mean, it was look, it was a lot of fun in the moment. It was a yeah. great upset win over the Chargers, but yeah. you know they really had no business beating that that Colts team. Um, the year after, you know, they probably should have beat the Packers, who they would have played in the Super Bowl in the regular season. I think yeah, they lost nine nothing. Lost nine nothing, and that team, that team after they beat New England, you know, there was no reason they couldn't beat Pittsburgh. They already won in Pittsburgh that year. That team should have won the Super Bowl that year. And was good enough to win the Super Bowl that year, which is why it sucks so much they came out flat in the first half against Pittsburgh. They played great in the second half. Mm-hmm. They were the better team. They just – the classic Rex Ryan. They were too high after a win, and they got down 24 nothing, and they just ran out of time. Which- Dude, if, if Sione Pua added like, took off like .3 seconds off his 40, uh, 40 time, he sacks Ben Roethlisberger, no Antonio Brown third down conversion, Sanchez gets a shot at the end of the game. I just yeah. – it kills me. And I think like like every Jet fan, I, I don't doubt they go down the field and score there with how that yes. season went. And it's a shame. It's honestly been – it's been such a downhill drop since then, right? They had all the right. expectations in 2011. I picked them to win the Super Bowl before the 2011 season, which, you know, feels crazy saying that you would ever – I authentically thought they were going to win the Super Bowl, and it was not a crazy pick at the time. They it's were not, a popular what? Super Bowl pick. And, of course. Uh, they, uh, you know, that year was a letdown. And then after that, it was the Tebow circus. And yeah, now here we are yeah. nine years later. Well, you're eight and five in 2011. And then, you know, you get killed by the dream team Eagles. And then stupid, the Giants game. I talk about this all the time is on Christmas Eve is one of the most important games in the history of football, because if the Jets win that game, then who the hell knows what happens? The Giants don't make the playoffs. They don't win the Super Bowl. It changes everything. So, I mean, that's devastating. But I wanted to ask you, uh, I wanted to bring this up because you were also tweeting about this recently about the offensive line. And one of the things that I'm a big Joe Douglas guy so far, I think a lot of Jeff fans are on board with him. He's being methodical. He's building depth throughout the roster. He's being smart. Um, I was a little bit disappointed about his construction of the offensive line this season. Uh, you were tweeting the other day about, you know, the 08 09 line and, you know, DeBrickishaw, Fanica, Mangold, Damian Moore, uh, uh, Brandon Moore, Damian Woody, just star studded. I'm curious how the Jets get back to that place 
building off what they did this year, obviously Mackay Becton has to pop, but then what is the long-term plan? Is it, is it Clark at left guard? Are they going to try to turn GVR into a long-term starter? Is George Fant like, should they have given him 10 minutes? Should they have gotten Trent Williams? Like what, I'm curious to see what your opinion is of the current state of the offensive line. I mean, I think this offseason was the first step in rebuilding this unit. The only two guys in this group who I think are locks to be starters in 2021 and beyond are Beckton and McGovern. And it's mm-hmm. great that the Jets finally addressed offensive line in the first round. It's great that they finally fixed center with McGovern, who I think will be good. I don't think he's going to be, you know, Nick Mangold and an all-pro, but he'll be a good, capable starter, and we know that. I think the other spots – are all kind of question marks. I, you know, I, I think, you know, Lewis and Van Routen are okay starters who have durability questions. You hope at least one of the two of them could stay healthy all season and be mm-hmm. better than what Brian Winters, you know, was. Fant, I, I think there's no proof that he could be a good starting right tackle for 16 games. I think they're rolling the dice and evaluating whether he can do it. But it's going to take another offseason of committing to using premium draft picks on the offensive line, spending money and free agency on the offensive line. This is going to be a multi-year process. I did really like the Cam Clark pick, and I do think he is someone who should be in the mix to start next year if everything develops right. But there's still a few players away. I think they will be better than last year, although that's not saying much because they arguably had the worst offensive line in the league last year. But it's not, it's not a unit that if you say they're – I don't even know if they're in the top 20. I think they're probably somewhere like in that 22 to 25 range. If they could mm-hmm. all stay healthy, maybe they, they are better than that. But you're asking a lot out of a, out of a rookie in a weird offseason. You're asking a lot out of George Fant, who has not played a ton of football as a starter. And to have just four new starters is hard. There's a lot of chemistry that you have to work through. And it's not necessarily easy to work through that against Buffalo and San Francisco out of the gate. I could see the Jets' offensive line – struggling a lot early and then gradually getting better as they get more reps and the schedule softens a bit and us feeling better about it by the end of the year. Yeah. Agreed. Now I, I know we're probably have a question or two left. Um, Looking at the Jamal Adams trade, what was your initial reaction when you got the update of the compensation that Joe Douglas pulled? Because, you know, Mike and I talked a lot about what we thought a potential Jamal Adams trade would be. We didn't think he would get traded until the days leading up when everything kind of broke down. But I want to hear your initial thoughts because that, when I saw it on my phone, I didn't believe that that was a compensation that we got back. It's uh, I was shocked straight up shocked that, you know, I was hoping for um, a one and then another player or a one and a mid round pick that could maybe move up to being a two or something. I, I had to like reread it three times. Uh, <laughs> I think it, uh, it was a very, it was a very pleasant surprise and kudos to Joe Douglas for navigating a really hard situation that Adams and ownership likely put him in and to get that much for a safety, a great safety and arguably the best safety in football, but a guy who had no interest in being here long-term I thought is potentially transformational for this organization. If they can nail the draft picks, the question is, can you nail the draft picks? And they have so much more flexibility to na- now to have, multiple first rounders uh, and to load up again in the mid round. They already had an extra pick from the Leonard Williams trade uh, and to still get a capable starter back in McDougald. I think they'll Mm -hmm. still have a good safety group this year. Uh, It was, it was a very pleasant surprise and wildly exceeded my expectations. Yeah. Doing some research on McDougald. I mean, like how the hell did that happen? Because again, I mean, the guy, you know, everyone saw that stat. He's like the eighth best pass coverage 
defensive back in football. I, you know, maybe a little fluky or, but oh, I mean, Joe Douglas with, and I get why the Seahawks did it. You know, now the Seahawks can say, Hey, we have two of the top 10 defensive players in football with Bobby Wagner and Jamal Adams. We have the probably the second best quarterback in football. Let's take a chance. Go for it. Russell Wilson's, you know, getting a little bit older. I'll see how much longer he can run around. Uh, but Joe, we'll leave you with this. Rumors are swirling with Manish Mehta that there's, you know, potentially could join TOJ, you know, one of the most polarizing figures in Jets Twitter history. And, you know, you came out, you know, maybe he is, maybe he is. Like, I haven't heard you shut the door on it. Give us, you know, tell the Broadway Jets listeners, like, what's going on? Are you bringing Manish Mehta into TOJ? We are. We are most certainly not. I, I, I was <laughs> joking, joking on Twitter. However, <laughs> however, we do have Manish's on uh, Scott Mason's Daily Jets podcast, mm-hmm. usually once a week. Um, and for all the people that complain about it on Twitter, I could tell you I see all the numbers, and it's our most listened to episode every single week. So I, I get a lot of people yelling at me for having him on my pod every week. And it's Scott's pod, which is part of our website. It's a great Yeah, throw pod. it all on Scott. Blame it's, it on uh, Scott. It's a great pod, and I recommend <laughs> everyone subscribes to Play Like a Jet. The guy has literally done a podcast every single day the past 2,000 days, which is, like, incredible. Wow. Um, but, yes, he, he, Manish is periodically on some of our pods, which is – all right, because people like listening to him, whether they admit it or not, but he is not joining Turn on the Jets. I, honestly, I don't know anything about what's going on with the credential situation or if there's what will come out around it, but I, I don't know much about it, but I did have to – I always have a Sopranos gift to re- react to everything, so I had to react to that. I love Got the it. Sopranos gifts. I love yeah. them. Yeah, I rewatched it during quarantine for like the fifth time. Uh, but, yeah, thanks again, Joe, for, for coming on. We'll hang around chat for a minute or two, but – with that, we'll end the interview there. What an awesome interview. Dude, Joe Cap, much more positive than I thought he was going to be. Absolute cool dude. Sounds like Bob was choosing my biggest takeaways. Yeah, I mean, they do a great job over there at Turn on the Jets. Um, Joe Cap, obviously one of the biggest names on Jets Twitter. I mean, I think I've been following Joe Cap since I made a Twitter back when, um, you know, back when the Jets were fighting for the playoffs in 2010, 2011. But Great interview, um, and yeah. Oh, also, Manish made it confirmed not joining Turn on the Jets, which I'm gonna, was a hilarious I'm gonna out, I'm going to reach out to Manish Mehta and see if he wants to become a member of the Broadway Jets podcast. Well, you can't um, do it in his comment section because he disabled it, so. Good point. I'm gonna, we're going to have to do an interview. We're going to do like a three-round interview process. We're going to have him send his resume and everything. It's going to be great. <laughs> well, it's kind of weird. We're receiving some uh, interference with our – with our feed here. I'm not quite sure what that is. No, no cream. No. I, black cup of coffee. All right. Sorry, guys. What's up, Broadway Jets? It's Brooklyn Dave. Just, you know, making my morning cup of coffee early Friday. But, um, you know, what's going on in Florida Park this week? Let's hear about it. Uh, we got the A team getting defeated by the B team, supposedly, which I'm pretty indifferent about. I am pretty indifferent about because it just does show that the B team is stepping up and we haven't had depth in fucking 20 years. One guy goes down. It's fucking Joe Schmo from Target picking up his fucking slack at center. I don't want Joe Schmo. I want someone capable, as anyone would. And on top of it, we're just throwing fisticuffs in the middle of the field. I love a little chippiness, but, like, let's, let's uh, you know, take it down a notch. No, eh, we're, we're teammates. Come on. Looking like the fucking Mets or something out there. Sorry, Mike. Uh, but anyway, you know, I, I'll hang up and see what you guys got to say about all this. Uh, thanks for having me as usual. And, uh, you know, go Jets. Brooklyn Dave, 
you know, we got to talk about the scrimmage because it has been all over Jets Twitter. Everyone overreacting. You want to see your guys play good. Like, that's a fact. It would be a lot better if we heard that Darnold threw for five touchdowns, the number one defense dominated. You don't have that every week. All right, you don't want to lose 27 nothing to the backups in a scrimmage, but I don't want to go on Twitter and people are freaking out. I saw Darnold was like 10 for 16. There was the one pass where Jeff Smith didn't turn around on third down. There's another drop. Hogan and Crowder both fumbled. You know, Sam had the one poor play where he threw the pick six. Well, Connor Hughes said it was a pick six. I don't think anyone else said it was a pick six. <laughs> so, to Ashton Davis. So, at least, you know, some of the younger defensive players are playing well. Uh, it's one scrimmage. It, it's important to know that in a scrimmage, you're working on plays that maybe you wouldn't run in a normal circumstance. You know, maybe, hey, Adam Gates, like, let's see if this works on second and ten. And then, you know, Donald does a pick six to Ashton Davis in a game – you know, week two against the 49ers, you're probably not going to call that play. So, Brooklyn Dave, a little fired up. Some of the fans on Twitter are very fired up. The Jets fans on Twitter are getting very testy. The The trade for uh, the, with the Dolphins running by Kalen Balazs today, people freaked out. The Jets traded a conditional seventh-round pick for, a, you know, for Balazs to be our fourth running back. Uh, the guy had a horrifying year last year. averaged 1.8 yards per carry, but you saw the – the tweets, you know, he averaged 5.3 mm-hmm. yards with Adam Gase and the Dolphins, and he was a former fourth-round pick. The point is, it's not a significant move. It's not going to preclude the Jets from doing anything else. It's not going to signal the Jets are going to trade Le'Veon Bell or cut Le'Veon Bell or that Le'Veon Bell is hurt. It's just mm-hmm. insignificant, and people need to relax. I think people need football. You know, 17 days away, yeah. people are just dying for football. They're going to jump at everything. But, yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Um, now bring on a special guest to go through the Jets mailbag with us, our good friend and season ticket holder, Tommy. How you guys doing? Happy to be here. Thanks yeah. for having me. Tommy oh, Merck. Let's go. Merck. All right. We'll start the mailbag with a tweet that I had earlier today. Uh, if you could pull one player from the NFC East, any team, who would you take? Now, before you guys give your answer, and I'll like, give you some time to think about it, there might be eight or nine players that were responded where people said it's automatically this guy. Like it, if you're not saying him, you're wrong. I'm curious to see who you guys think. Cause there's a lot of different ways you can go and who would be your player from the NFC East. I would go. Uh, you rather Young. have chase young than Terrell Basham. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's tough, man. I don't know. I don't know who's yeah. more productive. That's tough. I mean, I would probably go offensive line, especially with that division. You look at the, the Cowboys, Lyle Collins, I mean, if you had Lyle Collins and Mackay Becton for 10 years, I would, I would honestly consider trading two first-round picks and more for Lyle Collins or a young stud tackle, and it's not going to happen, but just hypothetically, because just to have that foundation in place in front of protecting Darnold, Lyle Collins is a notoriously good run blocker. Or, you know, Zach Martin is a little bit older. Uh he comes to mind, you know, someone commented like Lane Johnson, but he's been in league for a little bit too. He gets hurt a lot. Uh, so, you know, you look through that division, maybe, you know, uh, one of the most explosive players is Saquon Barkley, but the Jets don't really have a need at running back. So I would probably go with one of the Cowboys offensive linemen. And Collins is on a great deal. Nobody talks about that. They, they high-rate robbery, that contract they gave him too. Well, that's one of the reasons. We always talk about how the hell do the Cowboys have so much cap space and – I, I mean, I, just because Lyle Collins is on a good deal, but, you know, there's other factors. I guess Cowboys management has been smarter than people will give credit for. But 
you know, the Cowboys were immediately rumored to get Earl Thomas after we said, how the hell did they have enough cap space to get Everson Griffin? But, you know, I guess they, they do. Like, it is what it is. Yeah. All good answers. I would go Zach Morin. You get your guard, you get your left tackle, and immediately instead of having the 22 to 26 offensive line, you can have that middle range and give Joe Douglas another year or two to really pop and have a top offensive line. Zach Carr, big friend of the program, time is ticking down. Hail Mary, the back of the end zone. Who do you trust more, Ken Burrell Tompkins or Stephen Hill? Now, Stephen Hill, for the third time, has been brought up in the mailbag. We'll start <laughs> off with Mike on who you would take, Tompkins or Hill. The more the people hate Jets players that I can defend, the more that I want to defend them. So I will continue to defend Stephen Hill. It's funny. I actually replied to that tweet with, with friends of the program, Zach Carr, and put the video of, of Stephen Hill burning Stephon Gilmore and catching a touchdown over him. And then I have to go look at Kembrell Tompkins dropping the, the pass in week 17 against Buffalo to, lose, you know, to, to knock the Jets out of the playoffs. So also very cruel. I saw someone splice together a video of Kembrell Tompkins catching a long pass against the Cowboys in 2015 with the drop against Buffalo in week 17. Who and did it? I don't know, but I have to find it. And I, I don't know if I should tweet it. It's, it's, it's NSFW, not suitable for work. and make people get very upset. We don't want to see that. <laughs> but I'll go with Stephen Hill. Tommy, who do you got? I'd probably say Hill. I mean, even though a guy can't drop, you know, a guy drops everything. He is tall, so maybe you get lucky if it's a jump ball. You know, I don't I'm not Tompkins never – did anything for me. So I would probably, even though Stephen Hill is a disaster, at least he's tall. Maybe I get lucky one time. I probably go Stephen Hill. Yeah. yeah. Kenbrell Tompkins spells it with an N. It's Kenbrell Tompkins. It just doesn't, I can't. <laughs> I'd go Hill too. I think Stephen Hill is three and zero on the hypothetical so far. We got to find one that maybe he's not going to win. The gesture but... maybe bring him back on a one day contract the way everybody loves this guy. We, <laughs> you're right. You're right. We have, um, King Luca, with Mims running yesterday, is two weeks enough practice time to think he may start week one? Or do you think Hogan is going to you know, start week one? I'll start with this one. I think what you want Denzel Mims is to start practicing next week, getting reps with Darnold, and then by week one, you don't need him to start. You don't need him to play every down. But you would love for him to come in as a burst guy, You know, something the defense has never seen before. There's no tape. NFL game tape on Denzel Mims. And personally for me, you want him to maybe get like 50% of the reps, have a few catches, and then I don't expect him to come out and have a 100-yard receiving game week one. I would say, honestly, and I know probably people don't want to hear this, I know he got drafted in the second round. I'm not really expecting much from him this year. He's, you know, he came from that Baylor offense. It was always a tough transition into the NFL. Um, then with the whole COVID pandemic, you know, not to have the – normal off season, you know, your OTAs and training camps weird. Then you throw on the top that he has his injury. And like you said, missing vital reps with Darnold. So I think though, like his size and his versatility can be big in the red zone, but I'm not really expecting, I, I really not expecting a lot from him this year, but I hope, you know, he proves me wrong. And it's not, it's not an indictment on Mims. I just think it's just the pandemic and the transition of the new offense and coming mm. from college, it's going to be an uphill battle for him this year. It's a weird year. One of the things you heard about Mims a lot was uh, a lack of a sophisticated route tree. Yeah, yeah. So if he's going to develop that skill set, it would be 
you know, hard pressed to do it now while he's hurt, like Tommy said, in a pandemic. Um, I also think the Jets are going to run a lot of 12 personnel, so two tight ends, two receivers, and a running back, which doesn't, you know, negate the need for uh, a third receiver. Which the you know it's the it's the modern NFL teams run a lot of three four five receiver sets. Gase did it a lot last year with Demarius Thomas, Robbie Anderson, and Jamison Crowder. Uh, and I'd be surprised still if Demarius Thomas isn't on the roster at some point. Um, but you know the Jets have Herndon, they have Ryan Griffin, they have Crowder, and they have Perryman, and you can run Hogan, uh, like the question said. So um, do the Jets have a wealth of receiving options? No, but I think at least the Jets have an above average tight end group and an above average running back group in terms of catching the football. So if Mims isn't ready to be a big producer, like I don't think we all think he will be early Mm -hmm. in the season. I don't think it will kill the Jets offense as much as some might think. Yeah. SP Derb. I know you guys are big Harbaugh guys, but if you could pick one other coach that isn't Jim Harbaugh to coach the New York Jets, who would you pick? And let's call this question, you can't take an active head coach right now in the NFL. Oof. That's a vicious question from Steve Derby. <laughs> Not to name drop him. But uh, <laughs> yeah, the problem is Jim Harbaugh. All right, so Jim Harbaugh is for sure our guy. Mm-hmm. But, and I, the question says about Eric Bieniemy. I I am not so high on Bien-Ami. Tommy, I know you're not. I want to hear your thoughts on this. Well, you know, I wrote an article on your on your guy's site a couple months ago. I'm not saying the guy can never be successful. But when you have the best quarterback in the world, maybe the best tight end in the world, great wide receivers, and does Andy Reid get no credit? I'm sure the guy's talented. But I don't. I, what people, I think, don't understand is just because if he comes here next year, which would be bad because that means they had a bad year, they're not going to make the Jets offense a juggernaut. The guy's never been an NFL head coach. Again, I'm not indicting the guy. He's never had a shot yet. But the the notion that he's just going to come here and they're going to win 10, 11 games and have a top five offense, I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. I'm sick of first-year head coaches. I'm sick of it. Any fan that wants the Jets to not do well to hire an inexperienced coordinator is very obnoxious. And the one thing I'll say before I let Matt go, remember, it's funny. Every so often you'll get these cycles of coaches who – Mm-hmm. They're always rumored to become coaches. Like, yeah, the John Gruden. It used to be Bill Cower. And then, of that course, went to the Raiders. Now it's Jim Harbaugh, and, uh, which is, you know, what we want. But there's not – it honestly doesn't seem like there's too many great options out there, like established guys. Because Mike McCarthy would have been the other guy I wanted, who I wanted last offseason. Won a Super Bowl, consistently wins 10, 12 games. You know, turned Aaron Rodgers. You know, I'm sure Aaron Rodgers would have been okay, but developed that guy, so – yeah, it would be a risk, but I would want to go offense. And I think the name that keeps popping up is Lincoln Riley, right? Staying at Oklahoma, you don't think he's going to leave anytime soon. But if you could tell me one guy that takes Darnold to the next level, he's top three that you can look at right now. So we'll see where that goes. I'm hoping that the Jets have a great year and we don't have to worry about it, but we'll see where we go. Um, we have Stone Cold Joe Douglas. Can you trade Le'Veon Bell? for a starting wide receiver. Tommy, you can start this one off. I don't think so. I mean, what do you, like? what's the caliber wide receiver you're getting? Because people don't understand. Next year, you can get out of his contract very easily with the salary cap number. And then, like I said, 
what do you like? What do you expect to get on the market? I mean, the 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 season's two weeks away. You know, he didn't have a great year last year, which I thought partly was because obviously he didn't play last. He didn't play two years ago, and then I think Gase didn't use him right, and the offensive line was a train wreck. But what do you like? What do you like? It depends what you get. I mean, I want to keep him. I I, I don't think they maximized his skill set last year, and I'd be very, you know, if it doesn't work out this year, it doesn't work out. But I thought last year was just kind of like. You know, everything worked against the Jets and Bell, and I want to see him play. But it depends on the caliber wide receiver they can get. Running back valuations in the NFL are very bizarre, especially a guy – I think if Le'Veon Bell had a much lower cap hit number, you know, not $14 million, you could entertain this question. I don't see who's going to trade – I mean, you could probably get an established guy. Like if the Jets wanted to swap Le'Veon his contract for an older receiver – Maybe, but – and you could, like, you could say, oh, hey, that guy could start. So, technically, I guess this question is correct. Will the Jets go out – like, will the Jets go out and swap Laban Bell for uh, Allen Robinson? I wouldn't think that makes much sense unless – you know, even though David Montgomery got hurt the other day. Um, are they going to swap him for Kenny Galladay? Like, it, I don't think that makes too much sense. Mm-hmm. And for either side and this close to the season and, and uh, I don't know how much that helps the Jets' offense, then you have – Frank Gore and Michael P. Ryan starting. It's a little bit of a strange scenario. Yeah, and what type of precedent do you set as an organization where you bring in a high-valued free agent from day one, he's the leader of your team, he works his ass off, he gives you one or two headlines a, a year. He's, done, he's been nothing but a great Jet. And in a year that he gave everything this offseason to train, if you were to go move off Le'Veon Bell 17 days before the NFL season – not only would you lose a lot of the fans' confidence in the team, the players would be mad as hell. So I don't foresee him getting traded. I don't even think I would do it. To Mike's point, the valuation is pretty weird. I think the only way he gets traded is if at the deadline time they're out of it and a team calls him up and says, all right, we'll give you a three or four. Because we all know as much as I'm a big bell guy, this isn't a Douglas guy, and I think I think we're all in agreement he probably won't be here next year. So I think the only way he gets traded is at the deadline if they're out of it. Yeah. We got a, a great question from KB. The Jets allow fans at MetLife Stadium, 25% capacity. You get free season tickets to go to every home game. But you have to sit next to Booger McFarlane, who breaks down every single play throughout the game. <laughs> oh, that's rough. No, I don't think so because one, the, well, all right. The the there's pros and cons. The pros are that it's not there's not a lot of fans where you could yell stuff, maybe get heard, maybe show your feet. You know, mm-hmm. get some players mm-hmm. to acknowledge you. Would be kind of cool. You could probably sit close to the just close to the field if you don't typically do that. But the cons, there's not going to be a great atmosphere with 25 percent of the fans there. It's going to be a little bit depressing. And you have to listen to the worst possible color commentator ever, ever say obvious things that you don't want to hear and unfactual. I think Booger McFarland is, is atrocious, atrocious. I hate, I used to hate those Monday night uh, crews, Joe Tessitore and him garbage. Yeah, I think for me, you know, I love going to games. You know, we try to get to six a year. We have season tickets, but I am kind of looking forward to enjoying the game with the broadcast. You don't have to worry about driving an hour 15 to MetLife. Worry about getting a ride home because obviously we go there, we tailgate for five hours prior to the game. Going to a jet game is is more than a nine to five 
workday. We leave at 7.30, we get home at 7 o'clock. So as much as I love going to the games, I think it might be a good gap year to just say, you know, we're going to enjoy the games at the house with, with all the boys, right? It's a little different. So I think I would pass, but, but boy, for one game, that would be fun as hell, just to be next to Booger McFarland. As much as his announcing is terrible, I feel like he'd be a good guy to get a beer with and watch a game. Yeah, a gap year. Some some people take a year off and go to Spain. We watch the Jet game in our house. Yeah, Tommy, <laughs> Tommy what do you think? I think you hit all the nails on the head. I, you know, there's nothing more. You know, we, we tailgate. We've been going to games for years. And I think we, like you said, it's not a nine to five thing. And we much very enjoy those Sunday, even when the brutal losses. I mean, we were at the despicable, <laughs> the Jets-Bills game and Matt Barkley lit us up. You know, and Matt was absolutely, you know, gone off uh, blue points. That was a uh, fire Todd Bowles. Oh, yeah. I thought they were going to fire Todd Bowles at halftime. It's how bad it was. But, mm-hmm. um, no, I'm going to miss going this year. I can't stand listening to that clown, though. I mean, he is so nauseating. I'd much rather be at the Levy's household, have a nice beer at the bar. Ooh, name and, drop. You know. <laughs> Dude, the, the one thing we don't talk about a lot with football is that the football announcers are usually really, really good. Yeah, we listen to Ian Eagle a lot when the Jets play on CBS. Kevin Harlan. I think Kevin, Ian Kevin, Eagle is Kevin Burkhart. Kevin Burkhart. Ian Eagle is fantastic. Very underrated. Yes. Yep. Now we got a, a tweet from the, the Holy Trilogy. If the Jets were playing a playoff game against the Super Bowl winning Kansas City Chiefs. Would the 2014 Jets or 2017 Jets have a better shot to win that game? I actually, I, I think I have a pretty good answer. Go ahead, Mike. So, the 2017 Jets, first of all, I, I said this all the time, I love the 2014 Jets. Wacky team. At one point, their starting offense was Michael Vick, Percy Harvin, Eric Decker, Chris Johnson, Jason Morrow, which I think is just hilarious. And I like it. But the 2014 Jets had one good upset win. They beat the Steelers. Uh, with Michael Vick starting. The 2017 Jets played a lot of really good teams really hard, really well. They had a lot of leads into the fourth quarter. They lost close games to the Panthers, 35-27. They lost to the Falcons, 25-20. They were beating the Dolphins, 28-14, and blew that game, which is not a great team, but they lost to the Patriots, 24-17. A lot of close losses. They did beat the Chiefs that year, ironically. Uh, So I would pick the 2017 Jets with Uncle Josh McCown. Uh, and that crew played hard. Uh, I think the Jets are better coached in 2014 with Rex Ryan than Todd Bowles. But if I have to really win one of these games against a tough opponent, the 2017 Jets proved that they do a better job of that than 2014 Jets. Tommy, who you got? You know, I would – I think roster-wise, I don't think it's even close. I think the 17 team's way better. You do? But I, I but, can argue that. But I think I would, t- I would take the 14 team for one reason, Rex, because I have no – in the couple of years Bowles was here, did he ever win a – I mean, we all have to go back to the infamous Buffalo game. All he had to do was win the freaking game, and they'd be in the playoffs. I don't trust him. I know when Rex had its moments, at least Rex won big games. If I need one game, even though the roster might be worse, I think I'm taking Rex because I much trust him with the defense than I ever did with Todd Bowles. And I'm going to pile on with Tommy here. Looking at the 2014 Jets, your goal is to neutralize Patrick Mahomes and that offense. You have Sheldon Richardson, who was a pro bowler that year, Muhammad Wilkerson, Calvin Pace, Mike, your guy, and you have guys like David Harris, Tamara Davis. I think that defense is flying around a little more than 2017 Jets. The only, 
Sorry, Tommy. The only thing is to knock my and Matt's point is that the Jets starting corners in 2014 were Antonio Allen and Darren Walls for most of the season. Yeah, I mean, they probably can't cover my grandmother, but I mean, <laughs> you know, at least – no, no, but I, I think the one thing – yeah, I was just going to say the corners were an absolute disaster, but the thing I might say that might – maybe the 17 team would maybe be better. They could score more points because the 14 offense was garbage too. And, yeah. you know, who do I trust more, Josh McCown or Geno Smith? I don't, I don't think an answer needs to be said there. I'm looking up the team now. You got Walls and you had um, Antonio Allen. Can you guys a name safety playing corner. the other four cornerbacks that show up like right off I the I remember back? somebody had a pick in San Diego. I know that starts- one. That's an easy one. Phillip Adams. <laughs> yes. He wore 24. Yeah. yeah. The other four. Well, name. Kyle Wilson was still on that team. Kyle Wilson. Milner? Nope. Well, he might have been the team I was looking at the guys oh, that played okay. the most. He was on the team. He tore that. He, yeah, uh, he on special teams. He tore his Achilles. I yeah, against the Broncos. Yeah, sickening. I was at that game. Yeah. The other one is uh, Marcus Williams. Oh yeah, Marcus remember, Williams, who was the uh, second in the league in picks in twenty eighteen. Exactly. Exactly. No, it's nice. a good question. I think that's a, a fair debate to have. Let's see here. Fourth and goal. You need a touchdown. Stephen Hill. Or Jalen Marshall. <laughs> Stephen Hill. Well, well, actually, no, this is the video that I replied. Uh, Louis this D. is the tweet. I, Louis yes. D is great, by the Louis way. Louis D is awesome. A great follow. So this is the tweet that I was talking to uh, Zach Carr and Louis about. And and because I think <laughs> Louis put the video, or maybe Zach did, of Jalen Marshall scoring like a one-yard touchdown. Look again, Stephen Hill. Multiple, he had two, you know, he had a multi-touchdown game. Like we're talking about absolutely, you know, scrub NFL players. Like that's a big deal. Stephen Hill was a starter pretty much for two years for the Jets. Uh, you know, came out hot in 2012. He's got four career touchdowns. Like, Stephen Hill or die. Like, I, I want the Stephen Hill Hill. <laughs> Come on. Holly, <laughs> what do you think? Um, how can I not go Stephen Hill? I mean, I guess he's – everybody loves this guy. I think if the fans had their way, he might be getting his number retired next year. I think they hate him, Tommy, because they keep well, bringing him in these – they're comparing him to, like, Jalen Marshall. He's four for four in, in your four guy's trivia. So, I mean, this guy – I mean, it's – you know, the next question is, would I, you know, would I rather have Stephen Hill or Denzel Mims next year? I think people would say Stephen Hill. So. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. All right, here's one from, from Jude Jets. This is a great one. The Jets are going to get eliminated from the NFL if one of these guys don't want make a Pro Bowl. Are Darius Stewart, Ja'Kai Polite? I, I think it's a pretty easy answer. Do I the think, Jets know that they're going to get eliminated? That's the question. I'm going to yeah. say yes, they do know. Then you just throw to our Darius Stewart every single play. Exactly. You have to. He would literally touch the ball. I want to see how many times the Jets like threw, like threw did a play last year. <laughs> the, however many times... It, he just has to do it. Like, done. He can be the Wildcat quarterback to run every single play. Yeah, if you know you're being eliminated. But then also, what if his yards per carry is like 1.8? Is he going to be a pro bowler? I think you have to build your offense to have him get short catches and have him have like yeah. 190 catches plus, make yeah. a pro bowl, and then you can live on as a franchise. The, it would be so Jets. Sorry, Tommy. If he had like 113 <laughs> catches and just like got snubbed from the pro bowl. <laughs> you, know, I, you could make a case for Stewart because at least he survived training camp. This clown couldn't even survive ca- a training camp. Polite, That's true. So how the hell can you like expect him to make a Pro Bowl if he can't even survive freaking training camp? Imagine what a disaster a, pick. 
a real life scenario and like our Darius Stewart goes down in week two and you're like, holy <laughs> shit, we need you Kai Polite to make a Pro Bowl right now. Like you put everyone on the line to like eat up blocks and hopefully Polite can fly through and get you a couple sacks. But but it's definitely Stewart, right? Like, yeah, he, like yeah. Kai Polite can try as hard as he can. He's just not probably going to have that many sacks. Polite makes Polite makes Vernon Golston look like Joe Klecklin. That's how pathetic Polite is. <laughs> We have New York Jets film. Who are your Jets top five receivers over the past decade? His list, Brandon Marshall, Santonio Holmes, Eric Decker, Robbie Anderson, Quincy Anua. If you guys maybe have a receiver that jumps out, you think missed the list there. That's a pretty brutal list because, (laughs) well, the problem is, so Santonio Holmes was really good in 2010. He averaged, he was suspended that year. He missed four games. But he was on pace for right about 1,000 yards. He had 740 yards in 12 games. After that, and I love San Antonio Holmes. I tweet about him all the time. I love those teams. I'm fast. I, I just love the guy. He was objectively bad on the Jets. In 2011, he was okay. He had 600 yards and eight touchdowns. But from there on out, never caught 50% of his passes again. In 2013, he was awful. He played 11 games. He had 400 yards with 23 catches and caught 39% of his passes. Um but he probably is on that list. You know, you could put Braylon Edwards over him, but San Antonio mm-hmm. obviously has the longevity. I would probably put Eric Decker over San Antonio Holmes. Decker was really good with the Jets. He had 962 yards in 2014. He had 1,027 yards and 12 touchdowns in 2015. You know, started off the season hot in 2016. He had three touchdowns in like two games and then got hurt. And that kind of, you know, derailed our season. Um, off the top of my head, it would be tough to move that list around. Mm-hmm. Um, you could probably you could put Jeremy Curley over Anunwa. It would be the one guy. Anunwa's best season, he had about 800 yards. Curley had an 800-yard season, had two stints with the Jets, played a little bit more. Other than that, not the best decade of receiving options. Yeah, I think he covered them all. Tommy, anyone that jumps well, out to he, you? If he was on the team longer, I would say Jericho Cotre. I'm a big Jericho Cotre guy, but obviously – he only played on the 2000. I don't even think wait, he wasn't. He, just, he played on the 2010 team, right? Yeah. The big catch in New England and the. Right. But oh, yeah. no, going back to Holmes though, it is kind of pathetic. He got his contract extension, and then you know, then he had the foot injury, and then like I think you guys, I think it was going up to th- the 2013 season. He didn't he didn't partake in training camp because he said he had an injury, and then once they're going to put him on the PUP list. Then all of a sudden, oh, my, I'm ready to go. My hamstrings ready to go. So he got that contract. And it was a disaster. Yeah. But it's a really sad list to look at it because it's just not <laughs> – you take you Marshall. Marshall you know? No, no, I love Brandon Marshall. You take Marshall and Decker. But outside of that, I mean, Robbie Anderson. I mean, you guys know how I feel about Robbie Anderson. But yeah, you got to put him here, though. It's crazy. No, I mean, that's how sad the sure. list is. It's very sad. Yeah. Well, Curly led the team in receiving twice. <laughs> in 2013, Curl. he had like 520 yards and yeah. led the team. But the only other guy that we haven't considered that might need to be considered, well, two guys. Plaxico Burris had a, a solid year in 2011. Yeah. Eight touchdowns, but still only like 600 yards. And in 2017, Jermaine Curtis had 800-plus yards and would have threatened 900 and 1,000 if Josh McCown didn't get hurt. But yeah. I would put Anunwa in ahead of Jermaine Curtis. All right. We have a, a question from Steve Santner and great follow as well. What piece of Jets memorabilia or jersey do you currently not own that you wish you did own? Oh. So I'm looking at it like this. I think I would love – a Joe Namath autograph throwback jersey. Have a Mark Sanchez autograph. I have Darnold two autographs from him. I would I would love a Namath jersey. He when you look back, I always talk about what is it, 
15 completions for 496 yards and five touchdowns. Guy was a baller, best player in the franchise history. I'd probably want a, a Namath autograph jersey or helmet or something. I actually had Darrell Rivas over Joe Namath as the best player okay. in franchise history. Well, he had the best season, so not – you know, Joe Namath is, of course, the most important player. Um, I'm not a huge autograph guy. I could just write someone's name on a shirt. If a guy signs something in front of me, I think that's cool. To buy an autograph thing online, it doesn't, you know, doesn't make it move. Uh, the guy I would love, my dad's favorite player is James Hasty, who's an underrated corner on the Jets uh, in the 90s. James Hasty played four, 13 years in a row. He played six years with the Jets, seven with the Chiefs, and he, and he missed one game. 45 career picks, 125 career AV, one of the toughest guys. I'm going to post a highlight of him very soon. He could smash people. He made the playoffs with the Jets in 1991. He had good hands. He's one of the uh, one of the few good third-round picks we have in our history. I would love to have a James Hasty jersey, number 40. All right, Tommy, what about you? I think for me, he's my favorite player, favorite Jet player of all time, Chad Pennington. Um, I just love – so I only – he played seven years with the Jets and – you know, a couple of playoff runs and kind of said how the his his uh the way his jet career ended and going to Miami and beating us in 2008. I was at that game. That was great. But yeah, we no, would have made said, it anyway, so that's not it doesn't hurt as much. Yeah, but it just he came back and just beat us. But um, yeah. no, he was just always a professional. And it's just a shame with the the shoulder injuries and the wrist injury and in the preseason game against the Giants back in the day. And I just thought like if he was had a nice clean bill of health, I really think he could have been really. You know, so I'm just such a professional. I, Chad, I think, is very underrated in Jet history, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a good answer. I think that's it for questions. Mike, I'm going to open it up to, to you and Tommy here. Anything Jet-related on your mind or any questions that you guys want to talk through before we end the episode? We can let I'm it just, out. Just a, a quick yeah. you know, Jets Anonymous meeting right here. I'm just too many, too much on Twitter of just it, the anticipation for things to go wrong, I think, is – is too much. So the Jets fans should sit back, understand that we have a very good ascending young quarterback, understand that, you know, the weapons that we have are not ideal, but you have three solid wide receivers and Perryman, hopefully Mims and Jamison Crowder. You have two very good tight ends and Chris Herndon and Ryan Griffin. You have a very good pass catching and should be a, a very solid running back in Le'Veon Bell. There's no way the Jets have to run the ball better this year. They will. They rushed for 1,270 yards last year three and a half yards a clip. It's just statistics or three, 3.2 yards per clip, excuse me, as a team. So nothing there. There just wasn't anything there. The Jets are going to run the ball better. They're going to help Sam. Sam is going to get these guys involved. And uh, I, I just too much negativity on Twitter. I need more. And I'm, I'm glad about the Joe Cap interview. I'm glad about his attitude. He was, you know, very, very positive and, and hopeful. I think, you know, when we made our Twitter accounts, like we like to have fun. We post the memes. Jets Twitter is really negative, and I think looking at since we started making our accounts, a lot of people started, I think, being more positive. I got a lot of DMs of saying, dude, thanks for putting the memes out there. Like, I'm tired of hearing same old Jets all the time. I think it really started to take its toll, and I think the entire Jets faithful was very positive. Mosley opting out started a trend of just Mosley opting out. You know, we don't have Jamal, but, you know, we, we can still battle through it injuries pop up to guys like rookies that you want to see out there and play and they just pile on and then you think to yourself you know damn Darnold's in his third year and you don't have a legit number one threat we don't love the offensive line so I get why people can be a little 
annoyed with the past month of Jets football. But to the point, you have 16 games a year and three months, three to four months to watch your team play. We got to keep it positive on Twitter. But I do understand the frustration and why, you know, it was looking a little brighter a month ago. Listen, guys, I know everybody's fed up not making the playoffs for 10 years. There's nobody more upset about it than I am. But this, you know, I don't, I think guys, we should all be a little excited. I think we finally have a grown up general manager. I mean, mm-hmm. look at the Jamal Adams trade. I mean, that was just highway robbery. The guy didn't want to be here. They get two ones, a three, and a starting caliber safety, which I know you guys are very, so far, it seems like are going to be a real leader. I know everybody, the whole Gase criticism, and, and I get it. He's not the, you know, he doesn't do himself favors. I know there's a lot of criticism of him last year, but everything went wrong. The injuries, Sam missing three games. You know, the offensive line was a train wreck. So him and McCagnan, you know, everybody could say whatever they wanted. They never got along. I think this is the first time in a long time the general manager and the head coach are on the same page. I mean, you know, so I think that's to look forward to. And enough with this Trevor Lawrence bullshit. Enough. I don't understand these people. Like, all right, you have all these draft picks. If they, God forbid, they have to do that, they're, they're going to put themselves back. You know, you, Sam, mm-hmm. I think, is the guy. And I think, you know, when he hopefully plays 16 games, second year in the system, the team's improved. I, like you guys said, still doesn't have number one receiver. They still have a lot of work to do. But this nonsense that, you know, they have to make the playoffs or bust, I don't think so. I think they could win seven or eight games. Gase is competent. Sam takes a step. And we look forward to next year. And I know I want to make the playoffs. But, mm-hmm. you know, let's be, you know, this thing doesn't get done overnight. And I think a good thing is you'll see the same accounts talk about Trevor Lawrence. It's not a big part of Jets Twitter. I think 98% of Jet fans still believe Darnold's the guy. We all want to see him pop a little more. But a down year, I'm still not out on Darnold. I know neither of you are. But we just got to continue to bring the positivity to Jets Twitter, and I think we're doing that. When did Eric Smith have a 27-yard catch in 2009? Was it a fake punt? It has to be. Maybe that was... I don't remember that. It had to be a fake. But what game was it? I don't know. I just saw he has 27 receiving yards. I rewatched the 09 through 12 <laughs> seasons on NFL Red Zone. Or NFL favorite game. Favorite game that I rewatched? I was in the Bucks game that year when uh, when Revis. Kellen Clemens started. Yeah, Revis had the pick six, but it wasn't really a pick six. I think he went out of like the one-yard line. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Matt, regular season, 09 to 12. I, for me, off the top of my head, I would have to say the New England game, 2009 to week two, would probably Ooh. be my favorite game. What was the question? What's your favorite game? That, From 2009, 2012, regular oh, season. Oh, and then was 16-9. Rewatching that game was cool because, you know, Sanchez made a few rookie mistakes, but he looked poised after the week one win. They looked great. He made one bad throw that game. The week two game, that was the game when you rewatch it, you're like – He's going against Belichick's defense, and you think to yourself, you know, he made some tough plays, but he he hung in there. He was a leader every time when you watch 2009 over. It's one of my favorite things to look at. After a touchdown, a pick, a defensive stop, Mark was on the field every time, hyping his guys up, slapping them in the helmets, you know, chest bumping with Shoddy, Rex Ryan's like tackling. It was awesome, and that happened until the end of 2011. You'll notice that there's a sharp drop-off End of 11, early 12, Sanchez throws a pick. Instead of, you know, tapping guys in the helmet, it's on the bench, kind of looking not great. You hear fans chanting in the crowd. Something we, – we all know that Sanchez wasn't the best prospect of a quarterback, but he was always a great leader for three years. And then 
as the fans kept, you know, dragging them, 2012 and 13 were rough, man. Well, it was that, and then you throw in that. The the stupidest thing I think of. Well, one of the this franchise done a lot of stupid stuff. The Tim Tebow trade was just like, are you kidding me? With I that? actually disagree. I actually don't. No, we we talked about this. That's the stupidest thing. No, because I right, I'm not. I, if the Jets brought Tim Tebow to be like a second quarterback is stupid, but the Jets had just hired Tony Sperano, mm-hmm. R.I.P. Rest in peace. To who created the Wildcat, and then they got the most prolific potential wildcat player in football to come run the system. I don't understand why that was such a big deal. They didn't handle it the best. They should have said, Mark, you're the starting quarterback. Tim Tebow's going to do some wildcat bullshit. And okay. they also never threw the ball with him. He had like two passes. He threw one pass on a fake punt to like Trevor Riley or some shit. I have a better arm than him. Listen, you know, it's not like some regular wildcat guy you're bringing. You're bringing a celebrity, which whether that's Tim Tebow's fault or not, you just signed Mark to an extension. And then you bring this guy in. Yeah, but they should have just said he's the backup. He's going to just do Wildcat stuff, not. It's. I, I think it's, they did though. It was the fans that, at a point. Well, but you knew you knew but, something was going to happen. But yeah, here's the thing though. It wasn't the fans like us saying put Tebow in. Oh. It was the f- average fan who just likes to go tailgate, get drunk. They don't care about the team at all. In the third quarter, when you're down three touchdowns, you're going to chant for Tebow, and that was the problem with bringing him in. I agree with Mike. I like the chance, but from day one, they're saying Tebow is not a quarterback. He's the fourth string, third string quarterback. He's a different player. He's a hybrid. He's a tight end, fullback, running back. You, I, I mean, they just didn't handle clear. it right. Yeah, just be more. My, my, my point is, you know, I'm not a big fan of the Wildcat. I don't think it it's very works long term. And then it's not like if you bring him in, it's going to be quiet. You know, it's going to be a whole. You know, it's New York, the headlines. You knew that going into it. It's just, to me, I don't think it was tr- worth trading a draft pick, when you, especially when you just signed Mark to an extension. I just thought it was just like – and obviously it ended badly. They didn't use him right. I mean, he was useless. It was just, it was a, it was just a, a celebrity that they didn't need. There's no need for it. I hear what was you. the actual question? My favorite regular season game? From, from 2009, 2012. Well, the cool thing is – I guess we'll probably end after this, but 2009 – when they had big wins, it was kind of as an underdog. So, you know, you had, like Tommy said, the game against the, the Patriots, and then they went and started off 3-0 by beating the Titans, who were who a good team. You know, they went 13-3 uh, and the year before. Uh, you know, and then you had the game against the, the Curtis Painter game that we were talking about with Joe Cap before. You had the Bengals game. is so satisfying when they went 37 nothing in Week 17. Oh, so I would probably pick either 2009 against the Raiders and they won 38 nothing. Uh, because, you know, every, kind of a lot of good things happened in the game. Reeves had the cool pick. You know, Sean Green break out. The only bad thing is Leon Washington got hurt that game. And I think Chris Jenkins did too. I think the Jets lost both guys in that game. Uh, they might have lost Jenkins a little bit earlier. And then 2010, uh, you know, you have the Steelers game in Pittsburgh was great with a Brad Smith kick return. The Browns game is great to rewatch. Probably awesome. Probably the Texans game is mm-hmm. the one where they won 30-27, had the great drive at the end. You're just oh, looking forward to that all Oh, yeah. So good. The Patriots game week two, you beat them 28-14. Braylon's doing the Dougie uh, in the end zone. Yeah, do it. Take it. So, one of my picks. All those games are fun. I mean, boys, it's always a pleasure to talk Jets football with both of you. We're going to wrap it up there, but thank you all if you made it this far for listening. We're looking to have another big guest coming for episode four. So, thank you again, um, and we'll talk to you all soon. Sanchez, corner of the end zone.